Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. Today on the Real Self University podcast, my guest is Dr. Alex Zurierain. Did I get it right? Yes, you did, Eva. Thank you. Okay, good. I was practicing. Tell us a little bit about your practice. I know you're in South Florida and you're a South Florida native, which is unique. It's a little unusual that people end up back where they grew up, considering that you have to move around a bunch as you go through school. But give us the short version. Yeah, yeah. The the short version, I uh, was born and raised in in Miami, Florida. I come from a uh, Hispanic Cuban family who immigrated into the U.S. And I'm a first-generation American and physician and surgeon. And I moved around a lot, as you mentioned, during my formation as a, as a surgeon and as a physician. And so I've, I've lived all the way down in Puerto Rico and the Caribbean and all the way as far southwest as Albuquerque, New Mexico, and kind of mid-Atlantic all the way up into Raleigh, North Carolina. So I've done my geographic <laughs> adventures in each of these, of these areas. But, you know, Miami's always been home. My entire family's here, and I always dreamt of practicing aesthetic plastic surgery in Miami, which to me is one of the uh, the meccas of plastic surgery, for sure, for sure, aesthetic-wise. How early did you know you wanted to be back there? Was it always there? I was, yeah, I always knew. I always knew and had pretty strong foundation here. I went to a, a Jesuit high school and middle school and created very strong friends there, and culturally, it always called me back. And now your family's there too, your own family, but also your extended family? Yeah, so yeah, the majority of my family on my side actually lives here in Miami, but my wife's family lives in the Canary Islands out in Spain. So it makes for some interesting uh, <laughs> trips out to Europe every couple of years, but yeah, but yeah it's, it's been exciting for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how long have you been in practice on your own and what led you to go take the plunge? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was a resident at the Cleveland Clinic here in South Florida in Weston, and I always admired the private practice solo plastic surgeons. I always thought that it's something that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to have my own my own practice and my my own team and my own operating room, and I just thought that you know that was amazing. You know how these guys got to enjoy that. So I always knew, you know, walking into my plastic surgery residency, I always knew I wanted to be a private practice plastic surgeon. So I geared myself towards that immediately upon entering, and and so ever since then, you know, I've been on that quest to make that a reality. And so I've been in practice in my own practice for about a year at Zuri Plastic Surgery, and it's been an, an amazing experience to build it basically from scratch. You've been in practice for a year, but you, I noticed, have a lot of photos and reviews for someone who's only been on their own for a year. So when you say you were gearing yourself toward that from the start, did you know ahead of time that you needed to collect all those things for when you got out the door? Yeah, I knew. I knew. Actually, I remember my first real self, I forget the term that was used at that time, but it was coordinator or... Advisor? Advisor, exactly. And I reached out to RealSelf right away. And, you know, that platform is just an amazing opportunity for patients to be able to learn so much, not only about their surgeons in particular, but also about the procedures. And, and so I thought it was an awesome resource. So I reached out right away. And as soon as I started practicing, I mean, from the, from the first patient I operated on, I started requesting reviews right away. 
And it's amazing. I actually got an email today from yourself about how basically 80% of your patients are going to want to write a review about you. They're willing to do it. You know, they really are. You just, as a physician, you have to take the time out of your day to talk to them and, you know, just kind of ask for their feedback. You figured out the secret really early. You just really have to ask. Are you having them do it right there when you ask them or are you letting them go home? Is there a secret to the way that you ask? You have tried a couple of ways. Inside the office, it's a little difficult because of the flow. But what I do is I contact them individually, typically about a week after surgery. And I not only, of course, follow them up in the office, but I don't really use the office time with them as a time to ask them for anything. I just feel like, you know, they're recovering immediately from their surgery that, you know, some of them have a little bit of discomfort because of the procedure and they have so many questions on their own about what's best for their recovery that I don't always find that appropriate. So what I do is a week out, I individually either text message them myself or I call them and I let them know, you know, it's me and I'm just following up. And at that point, I basically say, hey, you know, whenever you're feeling comfortable and ready to leave me some feedback and and some reviews, I'd I'd greatly appreciate it. And do you ask everyone? You know, I try to tailor it. If I know that there's a patient that's maybe a little bit more challenging in regards to they want to wait longer to see their like final result, for example, commonly some of them will say, well, yeah, I'd love to give you feedback, but like, I don't know, give me like three months or give me six months to kind of see final results, and then I'll go ahead and post. And I've had a handful of those types of patients do the reviews, but honestly, those patients that really, really write back and are most active, they do it right away. They don't wait three or six months. They see the change, you know, immediately. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all kinds of different types of patients. Well, I think there's lots of different ways to actually get the job done. Mm -hmm. The one piece that is not negotiable is that you have to ask and that's why you're having so much success. So process aside, I'm glad you figured that out early because it has, I'm sure, presented a huge competitive advantage for you mm-hmm. as you have gone out on your own. Yeah. You know, for those listening, I would really say respond on the platform to your patients. The great thing about Real Stuff is that they give you the opportunity to actually respond to the reviews that are written about you or about your practice. So Initially, when that came about, can't remember exactly when that was launched, but when that came about, I took great advantage on responding. And I had a lot of patients of mine or potential clients say, hey, I'm like, I'm, I'm searching for a physician. And I see that you're like one of the only ones that actually replies back to the comments. Mm-hmm. So it's vitally important. You know, it's hard to be engaged to that degree as a solo practitioner because, you know, you're juggling the financial aspects of your practice, the management of your staff, the management of your patients, your family, your own individual health and sanity. And so all of those things combined make it hard. But you still have to do marketing. And I think one of the big challenges is that you want to do the marketing that's going to have the most impact and not waste Mm -hmm. your time doing stuff that isn't going to work. And that you could choose from 9,000 different activities in that marketing bucket And this is the one that will actually have the greatest impact on people coming in, not just on the number of conversions you get, but on their expectations and their mentality with you when they show up. And and that's why you're hearing them respond to you that way. So I love hearing how it's working for you. That's really valuable. 
what else do you do for marketing that seems to be worthwhile? Yeah, I think social media is paramount nowadays when it comes to any private practice, especially any any aesthetic plastic surgery practices. You know, I stay on top of Instagram as much as I possibly can. You know, now that we're in a time of quarantine, I've really used it in order to create more educational videos. One of the aspects of my profile on Real Self that was severely lacking was my videos. And I had produced a good number of professional videos, but I just hadn't taken the time to upload them to the website. And so Real Self makes it very easy. I mean, you just basically drag and drop the video and you just leave your, you know, a blurb about what the video is all about. I mean, you have to write enough so that the system will accept it. But then that's it. Within 48 hours, you, you should be seeing your videos up. So that, that is something that, you know, definitely working on for marketing purposes are videos. Nowadays, people, they just want to see videos. They don't even want to see still photos anymore. It's incredible. <laughs> this is one of my extreme Achilles heels is that I just cannot stand videos. But I recognize that I'm the exception and not the rule there. I like yeah. captions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because when I look at my social media performance and my numbers and, you know, my testimonials of patients that are like maybe more than three or four sentences long, they don't get much action. They don't get, you know, they don't get a lot of hits because people just don't want to read. They don't want to read the four sentence testimonial about Dr. Z, you know? So, so it's funny how you have to tailor it to your audience, but that's important to know. I think you can go with a volume strategy too, which is lots of reviews that aren't very long and that works yeah. just as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I noticed on Instagram, I kind of went backwards and looked at what you've been posting and your live surgery videos have done very well mm -hmm. engagement wise. Yeah. And since we've all kind of gone home lately, the engagement numbers have really changed. So yeah. I know you're you're trying to get stuff up there, but yeah. I want to talk about your live surgery videos because I think you hit on something really valuable there and that patients really like to see that. So how long have you been doing those and what have you learned from that experience so far? Yeah, I love the videos. I mean, I love making them. And one of my goals down the road as my practice continues to grow is to have some more professional videography at the practice. Luckily, I'm in a generation of plastic surgeons that can use their iPhones and be able to take videos pretty much on the fly during surgery. So that's what I've taken most advantage of. I have a couple of young staff members at my practice that, again, they're millennials or they know how to use Instagram and they know how to use the iPhone to its fullest potential. So that's what I've done. And of course, you know, you have to go through the appropriate protocols pre-op to make sure that the patients understand that consents have to be signed and they're made aware of what's going on. But you'll be surprised if I've had so many patients ask me to take videos during their surgery. It's unbelievable. They want to see <laughs> it? They want to see it. They are dying to see it. And some of them are even like, you know, trying to convince me to, to broadcast it live as it's being done. So that's, a, you know, I've definitely shot away from that. I don't like doing any live videos, but, you know, I will shoot some footage for them, kind of piecemeal. But for my own social media purposes, I love shooting the videos. I think that it helps tremendously. Now, if you're the kind of surgeon that 
I don't know. It just kind of makes you uncomfortable and it kind of makes you a little nervous. Then I would say, don't do it. But I, I don't know. I, it doesn't make me nervous. It doesn't bother me. I actually enjoy people seeing me operate because I think it really creates a more realistic expectation as to what this is. Um, unfortunately, aesthetic plastic surgeons sometimes, you know, patients come in and they think they're coming in for a haircut, you know, or, or you know, something simple. And this is full-blown, real deal, general anesthesia, plastic surgery. I've heard that they'll think a procedure just takes a few minutes because they saw it on Instagram when really it takes like four hours or six hours to do some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what the time lapse will do on the, on the iPhones. I mean, they condense a three hour, four hour surgery into 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Poof. You're beautiful. I also noticed that you post everything in both English and Spanish, which is really, I don't know that I've actually ever seen that before. But I think there must be advantages to doing everything in two languages. Have you seen that too? I have. I definitely have. I'm fortunate because I, you know, like I was explaining at the beginning of the interview that, you know, I grew up in a Hispanic family, so I'm a native born Spanish speaker. So it's very easy for me to kind of, you know, transition back and forth in both languages and in in the medical terminology as well. So I've been lucky to do those videos and it's opened up so many doors for me in terms of media appearances and interviews on major national broadcast, you know, Spanish networks. And, and that's really transformed. I'm in the process now of converting my website into basically a 100% Spanish alternative so that, you know, all of the Spanish speakers that come to see me from all of South America and Europe, that they're able to get access to, to information as accurately in English as in Spanish. That's a huge process, you know, for the website developers. So it's going to be some time. Yeah, that's a lot of work. How did you get your first TV spot? Yeah, so I actually work with a local kind of publicist or you know, a media representative that has helped me garner some of these interviews with the connections that she has. Also, luckily, she's able to help me acquire some online print options as well. So, so I continue to, you know, I just had a recent publication in Spanish in a, a well-known online magazine called Siempre Mujer or Always a Always Woman. You know, not a great translation, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, so it's important to stay active in that front, no matter where you are in the country, but typically you can, you can find a, a local publicist in your area that has connections with some of the local news outlets. I like to find that person through a hairdresser. And so if you can figure out who the celebrity hairdressers are in your town, you can often (laughs) find out exactly who the PR people are because they're super connected. Yes, Hairdressers are like the secret to everything. And especially if you're new in a town. Yes. Really important. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And now nobody's getting a haircut, so now it's tough. <laughs> nope. How have the TV spots worked out as far as driving new patient leads through the door? Does it work or does it have a different purpose? You know, I think it's a mix of baggy. But I mean, I, I in my opinion, right when I get off of a live, you know, let's say Telemundo or Univision show, let's say their morning show, we do get a spike of calls within the first 48 hours of the appearance. Then, of course, it dwindles down. But the great thing about it is that, number one, it's, of course, national exposure. Number two, you're building a brand. And brand recognition is extremely important. 
So, you know, I'm on there wearing my white coat. I have my Missouri Plastic Surgery logo. And then everything, all the footage, um, which is great, that, you know, these networks are kind enough to provide you with the video of the interview. And so you upload it onto your every single platform, Facebook, Instagram, your website, et cetera. It sounds like you're getting most of these without paying. Have you ever done any of the paid TV? Never. Ever tried any paid TV? No need. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think that it, I don't know. I don't think it would create such a, a huge advantage. I have seen it, but I think every market is so unique in terms of the marketing that you have to do. You got to really know your audience. You know, if I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I went to undergrad, I mean, I, I don't think I would be, I would be doing what I'm doing in Miami. I just think that it's, it's just a different mentality, different market. Competition is very, very fierce now here. Yes, in, it in is. And in, in Miami in particular, you also have the aspect of all the safety issues that happen around you. Have you been affected personally by any of those things that have happened there? You know, I get a lot of patients that come in that have valid concerns about patient safety. And it's from not only the local population of patients, but also those that are coming from out of state. I would say, you know, I have a very strong out of state patient population. And so unfortunately, Miami, it has dual reputation. I think it has a very strong reputation for some of the best aesthetic plastic surgeons in the country. We're known also for providing excellent price competitive options instead of having to go to Latin America or the Caribbean. But then we've also had our fair share, unfortunately, of providers that are either not real, truly certified physicians and surgeons doing these surgeries and have caused kind of a bad rap for Miami. Yeah. I know. It seems like every time there's a story, that's where it's happening. Yeah. Maybe not every time, but quite often. Yeah, quite often. And the other issue too is when we talk about statistics and we talk about any type of surgical procedure, the more volume that is done, the higher the risk of encountering a complication. So, you know, if you take, um, you know, I was a general surgeon before I got into plastic surgery and if you take, you know, doing a cholecystectomy or, you know, gallbladder surgery, and, you know, you have one hospital doing 5,000 cholecystectomies a year, and, and, you know, in a neighboring state, they're only doing about 500. That other hospital that's doing 5,000 is going to report a much higher, much higher number of complications. And that's just the way it goes. So Miami is, is a mecca, like I said earlier. And so we do an amazing number of plastic surgery procedures annually. So we're going to see higher numbers of complications. That goes hand in hand. The issue is getting providers that are not actual plastic surgeons to not do, you know, these types of surgeries. I know the law changed recently to try to tighten up some of that. So I think that was a positive step for sure. But I don't think it's over by any means. No, no, I don't think it's over at all. I mean, yeah. now, now you have to have a designated physician and for the practice. And so they're trying to get a little, a little tighter on the rules. Again, every state is just so different yeah. when it comes to their rules. Yes. There's two questions that I'm asking everyone right now as we mm-hmm. kind of go through this. And one is, what do you think the most important thing that you've learned during quarantine has been? Yeah. So, I mean, during quarantine, one of the most important things that I've learned is, is you have to really maintain communication with your staff. You know, just because you're in quarantine doesn't mean that you let the foot off the pedal. 
and um, you just kind of float by. There's still so much work that we do as a practice virtually that it's important to keep tabs on everybody. And also it's important to hear everybody out. So what I like to do is meet with them twice a week on a virtual call. Everybody's on the, on the same call together. We, you know, it's also a time where it's a bit cathartic because, you know, we're all locked up. So everybody gets to kind of express their emotions and their concerns and they all realize we're all in it together and that, you know, it's a tough time, but we're doing everything that we can to keep everybody employed, which has been very, very challenging as a business and, um, you know, keep everybody in the loop and transparent as to what's going on. You know, everybody thought all of us as plastic surgeons and small businesses thought we were going to be able to get some paycheck protection from the federal government, but that ran out. And so it's been tough. And tomorrow they may give us more money, but that's going to run out in 72 hours after that. So we don't know if we're going to get any funds. And so it's, it's, I think it's important to be transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the question we ask everyone is, what is your superpower? Everybody has one. What's yours? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think my superpower would probably be my ability to kind of just be like positive and be optimistic and continue to wake up at five in the morning and continue to work out and continue to put the gas on the pedal and continue to innovate and think of ways to maximize our performance as a practice and to reach out to everybody. You know, I think that it can be pretty easy to sit back when you're on quarantine because you think the rest of the world is is stopped, but really it's really not. I mean, things are still moving. Things are still very dynamic. And I think you just got to stay on top of your game. To me, it sounds like you just said leadership with all of that. Yeah. I like yeah, it. I think so. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. It was a real privilege. Thanks, Eve. I really appreciate the time. And thanks to Real Self. It's been a pleasure working with you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.